everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm covering the first archetype for Lord of the Rings, which will be Red Black. So, uh, as always, you can follow along with my notes that I've prepared for this episode at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, if you are a patron of sufficient standing there. And getting right into it, based on the very, very early data, so we're like, you know, a day plus the early access into this format, so all the sample sizes are really small, but based on the early data, red-black is both the most drafted and winningest archetype. So, you know, it would make sense, of course, if something were underdrafted and winning a lot, that it could easily self-correct and, you know, might not mean a lot that it was doing well early. But because this is drafted heavily and still winning, it's going to be a little bit harder to correct. And even if it can be corrected, it really speaks to just how strong these colors are. So as far as just like, what are the best colors, which, you know, one way in which that's relevant, regardless of what happens with correction in a draft, is what you should expect to see and to try to build if you're playing sealed. Uh, I know that I have some sealed RCQs coming up. I imagine some other people are also playing in events like that. Really, really look to red and black. Speaking of, as far as the early data suggesting that red-black is good, that also tracks with my early experiences. I played red-black in two different paper pre-release sealed events and uh, went 4-0 in both of them. And I played an eight-player draft with some friends uh, the other day, and the player who went undefeated in that draft drafted red-black. So it has certainly felt impressive in addition to having good stats and also the cards looking like they're good. I've seen pretty broad agreement, uh, even like before the set was released, from people asking about things and talking about things in my stream and whatever, that black looked like it had the best commons. And the early data suggests that that's emphatically true. Eight of the top 10 performing commons are black. Obviously, when you have that kind of density, they're each benefiting from the fact that they're played in decks with the other ones. So, you know, if you look at like the sixth best performing black common, it's probably not actually the seventh best card in the common in the set. It's just, you know, like it's probably independently a weaker card than like the best card in some other colors, but it's very hard to divorce the power level of a card from its color and context because like you know in this set costing black means that it's easier to cast in a strong deck than cast costing green if you imagine that you know strong decks are a lot more likely to have other black cards in them and therefore to have swamps in them so yeah the the black commons are really good i guess that raises a question about why is black so good? Is it just that all of the commons are just independently really strong? Or is it something about the nature of this format or whatever that's making the stuff that black is doing good? I think it's both of those things. I think that specifically the nature of the ring mechanic plays really well into black in general and the things that black has in this set in particular. 
The card advantage offered by a mass uh, is a really big part of it. We see the best performing black commons are a lot of the ones that uh, amass at a decent rate, um, in addition to, uh, you know, Claim the Precious, the one black black destroy target creature, the ring tempts you, is the top performing, which speaks to, I mean, it's just a great card. Three mana hard removal is a pretty good place to be. And then instead of like being an instant like murder, it uh, gives you the ring tempts you, which is really significant. So the reason that it's so significant is really the second chapter. The fact that uh, when the ring tempts you a second time, you get to loot when you attack. So uh, as long as you can keep that going, you don't really flood out. And black is particularly good at managing all aspects of that. So having a bunch of removal uh, means that you get to kill your opponent's ring bearer. Having little creatures that are good to be a ring bearer, especially Doonland Curbain, the 1-1 flyer that amasses two, the 1-1 flying part of that is a fantastic ring bearer because it already has evasion and it only has one power, so it can only be blocked by very, very, very few things. Um, like other flyers can't block it, other one power th things can't block it. You need to have one power and reach, like the rare Legolas, or you need to have one power and flying, like a spirit token or another one of them. But like something like Kingfisher, the 2-1 blue flying common can't block it. And so uh, there are a lot of like cards that are pretty good blockers for ring bearers, but most of them don't block that creature in particular. And so if you have uh, the looting from the ring bearer and your opponent doesn't, you're you know, in really good shape because you have a looter and they don't, and that's just how limited works. If you both have a looter, then neither one of you is flooding out. And then you're both like pretty likely to be able to spend all of your mana pretty efficiently. And so the fact that Black's card advantage is in the form of extra board presence, um, insofar as a mass represents more board presence compared to like a cantrip or something, which represents more cards in your hand, the way that that's tempo positive matters more when everyone's good at spending all of their mana. But then also like the, you know, no wrong threats, only wrong answers thing means that uh like sometimes you can draw like a removal spell or something that doesn't line up well but with the ring that's a lot less possible and i think just in general like a bunch of looting kind of leads into a small game especially like a low resource game because people tend to discard extra lands and i think that black and red black in particular just play that game really, really well. You get to like dig for your stuff to disrupt their engines while you're just kind of accumulating value generically. And Black's thing being a mass is just this generically good extra object. There are some synergies with it, but you don't need any of them to make it matter. Where a lot of the other archetypes thing requires like some kind of synergy that like red black is very good at disrupting so that's the start of it that's the big picture interaction with the ring stuff but also i think that red black is just very versatile in a way where you know i talk a lot about 
this deck could be drafted as an aggro deck or a control deck, here are how to focus on those things. With red-black, red, I feel like it's really easy to have a deck that functions as an aggro deck and a control deck. And you don't need to pick a thing and you don't really need to draft around your certain synergies. You can just play strong cards and red-black is kind of advantaged at every stage. You have good, cheap, aggressive cards that let you put your opponent on the back foot, which is really important because of how the ring encourages a proactive game and rewards small creatures and punishes being behind on life and pressures the game to end. So Red Black's ability to like be on the front foot and get out early is great, but also because you're better at competing over the ring and you have like this built-in card advantage and critically you don't ever flood out, you also play a good long game. And then that kind of covers you through definitely being good in the early and mid game. But on top of all of that, uh, Red Black has some solid engines that it can assemble that can uh, kind of carry it into a dominant endgame. For example, if you have Zerith Ungle Patrol, the 5-mana 4-5 that can tap and sacrifice a creature to make a food and draw a card, if you combine that with either Haunt of the Dread Marshes, the 1-1 uh, that scries when it enters and you can spend 3 mana to return it, or March of the Black Gate, the enchantment that when you uh, attack with an army, you amass one. With that one, you can attack, and then in response to the trigger, you can use the patrol to sacrifice the attacking army, and then resolve the trigger, the trigger to amass one when you now don't have an army and make a new army. Both of those give you kind of like a, you know, slow card draw engine that's also giving you this food, so it's a life gain engine, and that's, uh, you know, letting you really grind people out going long. That combo involves just having, you know, two cards in your deck that are both, like, not anywhere near the best black cards. In fact, they're both cards that have been going later than 8th pick, but you don't need to totally draft around it or anything. You can just include those two and then happen to be able to slide into that if the game goes that way. Alternatively, they're just normal creatures in your deck, and you can most of the time play just, like, a normal aggro game. And... If you're worried about that getting disrupted, you have Sam's Rescue to raise dead to get back your patrol if the game is going that way. And like the rescue also, just in general, the combination of rescue with a land cycling creature gives you the ability to get your tempted stuff going early. It lets you um, use your raise dead at the beginning of the game and it can function either as an extra land or an extra creature, depending on which you need. Um, so I've been really impressed by the Raised Dead in this format, both because of how good Tempting is and because of how much better it is in a format with Land Cyclers, which again is kind of speaking just to the strength of Black. While talking so much about Black's commons, notably the Black Breath, the sorcery that gives your opponent's creatures minus one, minus one, and the ring tempts you, is the only common I'd really consider unplayable. Mortar Trebuchet currently has the worst win rate among the other commons by a significant margin. 
And I've had good experiences with Mortar Trebuchet. Uh, when I when talking about engines, uh, Mortar Trebuchet is another card that can let your Ungo Patrol uh, make a, like draw a card every turn by sacrificing the Boulder, and it blocks Ring Bearers pretty well. It combines well with the Bats because you get two extra damage out of like making the Boulder and sacrificing the Boulder, and you know that that's the that's as bad as it gets. Uh, that and Orcish Medicine. The two mana amass one that uh, gives indestructible or lifelink. Not a very good trick, but not embarrassing to put in your deck. So black is, you know, has the best commons, but it's also just extremely deep. Notably, Mirkwood Bats is probably black's biggest trap common. Like it was a card that I think was hyped a lot early on. And in practice, it is the fifth highest picked black common so far among early data, and the fifth worst performing. Notably, it pairs a lot worse with a mass than you might, you know, initially expect it to. Uh, you might see all these cards in your deck that make tokens and think, oh, this is like a lot of stuff that's going to work with this bat. But in practice, a lot of the time your mass is just going to make the army that you have bigger, and then you're not getting those extra bat triggers that you might have been expecting. And outside of a mass, black isn't really that great at making tokens. There are some, you know, decks and some cards that uh, pair well with Mirkwood Bats. But overall, I would definitely say it's a little over overhyped. On the other end of the spectrum, Shelob's Ambush, the black instant that gives a creature plus one, plus two, and death touch and makes a food. And the Torment of Golem, the three and a black sorcery, a mass to look at your opponent's hand, make them discard and non-land, uh, are both really strong cards that are uh, being taken later than eighth pick. Shelob's Ambush is just really efficient trick, um, especially when black has so many like easy fodder creatures. It's very easy to make the Ambush function like the Lash, the Black Sacrifice a Creature, Kill a Creature Sorcery, except the Ambush also makes a food, and sometimes it wins a combat. Like, it's not that hard for two extra toughness to save your creature. And then also being an instance, you know, is nice. Requiring that your creature get into combat is a significant drawback. I'm not saying it's strictly better, but it is, you know, pretty reliable way to do the thing that it's doing. Strong card. And Torment of Golem has just been fantastic for me. The information, the discard, a mass two is, uh, you know, gives you a real body. Um, I like everything that's going on with those cards. So this whole time I've, you know, been talking about black. And obviously this, you know, while black is kind of the star of the show here because it has such great commons, you know, this is about black with red. So uh, what's going on with red here and why is red the best color to pair with black? First off, just this, <laughs> this isn't, it's a bit of a weird place to start, but while talking about like the strength of the commons, red's commons aren't that amazing. And uh, somewhat surprisingly, Smite the Deathless, the uh, three damage spell that exiles the creature that it kills, uh, two mana instant, highest pick perform uh, common, not surprisingly, definitely reads, you know, like the, kind of card that's normally red's best common is not the best performing common the best performing common is rally at the hornberg two mana make two one one humans then give all of your humans haste until end of turn that card is really really good it's 
two hasty damage that also gives you more bodies that can attack. If you play it later on with another human, it also gives that other human haste. It's particularly game-winning basically any time you have the uncommon 4-mana 3-3 that uh, pumps your team whenever a human comes into play. Whether you play them in the same turn or different turns, uh, it's just overwhelmingly likely that you win the game when you give all of your creatures plus 2 plus 2 or plus 2 plus 0 or more than that and give them all haste and make two extra bodies. Um, so like that combo is super, super real. Rally at the Hornberg is currently getting drafted pretty late, like seventh pick on average or something. So I, I could see those balancing out a little. Rally might not continue to be the best common, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does. I think Rally and Smite are pretty close. More surprising is that the five mana five four that uh, amasses two whenever a four or greater power creature you control dies and Quarrel's End are also currently ahead of Smite Deathless. Notably, the War Beast is with an extremely small sample size, and I would not take that particularly seriously. But uh, Quarrel's End, the three-mana Tormenting Voice type card that makes a human, so three-mana discard a card, draw two, make it one-one human token, is currently performing better than Smite the Deathless. Somewhat smaller sample size, again, also taken much later, very much expect that Smite the Deathless is the better card, but worth noting that Quarrel's End is good. I've been very happy with it when I've played it. The body's nice, the card selection's nice. So while Black has the best commons, the, the cards that I've listed as being close to Smite the Deathless, like they're notable because it's surprising that they're like that high up. Regardless of whether Smite's better, like these are really you know, even even if what's going on is Smite is not as good as you might expect, like, are these really the next best right, red cards? The, these seem really unimpressive compared to the black cards. What's going on with red is, while black has the best commons, red has the best uncommons. So your deck is going to be mostly black commons, but the red uncommons are a huge draw. Black has the best performing uncommon in Vicious, uh, Voracious Fell Beast, the 5-mana 4-4 flyer that makes your opponent attack a creature and then makes food. But the next four monocolored uncommons in early win rates are all red, even though the other good black uncommons, and there are some really good other black uncommons, like the Nazgul, even though those get support from the black commons, Grishnath, Brash Instigator, the... Uh, one one that makes a 2-2 two, two, and then steals something for a turn. Uh, Foray of Orcs, the amass 2 and then do damage to a creature equal to the power of your army. Fearfire Foes, the X spell that does 1 damage to all of your opponent's other creatures. And Eomer of Rittermark, Rider, Ritter, whatever, Mark. The 5-4 um, haste for 5 that gives you an extra body and then, you know, continues to make more bodies or whatever. I guess somewhere in there is uh, Theoden, the red-white uh, guy that gives double strike. Yeah, so red, red's uncommons are really, 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 really good and pair really well with what black is doing because these are just, you know, kind of generically strong or have a mass synergies. Like Grishnak and Forivorks are both a lot better if you're amassing in general, which black is best at doing. And Grishnak, Grishnak, the threatened guy, has been very, very good. Like, it's three mana for a 1-1 and a 2-2. So just no matter what 
uh, is going on, that's good by itself. In the early game, it often like takes your opponent's one blocker to clear the way for something else. You hit them with the creature that you played before and their blocker, um, and then they've taken a bunch of damage and you're pretty wide. But where it's been really, really game-winning is when it's played later in the game where you've amassed with something else, you get to steal your opponent's best, best non-legendary creature. And then in red-black, sometimes you also get to sacrifice that creature. Um, you don't even need to be red-black. You can do it in red with Improvised Club, but you could also do it in black with Nasty End or the Patrol or um, Grima, the Uncommon. Yeah, uh, Grima Worm Tongue is the name I was reaching for there. Um, so a, a lot of ways to do the steel sack with that thing. And when you make two creatures in addition to the threat of your steel sack, um, it's really, 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 really hard to recover from that. Yeah, and then, I mean, stuff like Quarrel's End contributes to just kind of the flexibility of red black in terms of you know not floating out and being able to kind of play at all stages of the game and you get a bunch of just like very small synergies with kind of robust powerful cards that play well at all stages so you know i really like to find ways to say like here are the synergies to be looking for here is like the strategy that you want to employ with this deck here's the niche you're trying to operate in but with red black i really feel like the strength of the deck is that it just plays good cards and generically good magic and you don't really need to do anything like special or tricky or fancy with it and that's 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 a clear strength here so given this effusive praise for red black does that mean that I would advocate forcing red black? No, I don't intend to force red black. I don't really think you should force red black, but it's the kind of situation where what it means to force is a little bit weird, right? Because if all of the best uncommons are red and all of the best commons are black, it stands to reason that in most packs, the best cards you're going to see are naturally going to be red and black. And it, taking the best cards is going to lead you to taking red and black cards and then playing red-black. And I don't necessarily think you should actively fight against that. So my plan is to take the cards that are good, as you know, I understand them to be good, and to expect that that means that I'm playing red and black cards fairly often but I'm not going to pass better cards in another color or take weak red and black cards to fight to be in red-black uh, more than the packs naturally push me there, but I do expect to naturally be pushed there by the packs quite a bit. So that's going to be my approach. I certainly can't, you know, assure you that forcing red-black is bad, I can be pretty sure that avoiding red-black is bad because the cards are just so good. You're, you know, giving up a lot every time it would be right for you to play it. So that that's that's about what I got. That That's what's going on with red-black. Very simple, very strong. So I'm going to turn it over to chat for discussion. And also I want to thank the newest patrons of the podcast. So thank you so much 
uh, Demontis, Gavin, Hank, and uh, Roken. Really appreciate it. If anyone else is interested in uh, checking out the uh, benefits offered to Patreons and supporting the program, check out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Thoughts on playing against Red Black? Oh no, I hope I don't have to do that. <laughs> so, I mean... Like I said, they kind of excel at a lot of stages in the game. They're good at pressing early damage, and then they have, like, some reach to finish off from there, as well as, like, you know, just good card advantage engines and stuff like that. I think that you do need to do what you can to preserve your life total and try to, like, keep pace with them. And then, you know... Do whatever it is your deck does better than them. Uh, that might just be take advantage of some really strong uncommon or rare that you have. It might be, you know, attack them with flyers. It might be, like, grinding them out with, like, big green creatures and, um, you know, recursive elements or something in green-black. Maybe you're just trying to, like, get them dead with, like, burn stuff or mill stuff in like blue red or blue black i don't i mean so part of the thing about just being like oh this is just a good mid-range deck is i don't think because it's not really based on any particular synergies it's hard to like be like oh well you just need to answer this and it all falls apart that's not really what's going on so yeah i i don't know it, it just plays such fundamental magic there's you know the normal like oh, well, if you think that your opponent has, like, a removal spell, maybe you play your next best creature before your best creature or whatever. But I, I don't know that there's a lot of a trick to it. Curious what you think about the tension between sacking armies and growing them in a color pair that rewards attacking with them. Yeah, I think a lot of that is matchup dependent, like I was just talking about, where you need to think about, like, what your opponent's answer to a big army is going to be and, you know, what value you're getting out of, like, trading off the army repeatedly versus, like, trying to grow it. A lot of that's going to be, like, very, very contextual. Again, I largely think it's a strength of red-black that you often have, like, the option about, like, what you're trying to do with it, right? But uh, as far as, like, generally how you should air there, it's tricky outside of, you know, if you're no think about whether your opponent's colors let them deal with a big army and if there are very few ways for them to do it then work harder to make a big army when you mention trebuchet as an engine do you have a needed number of supporting slash payoff cards to play trebuchet or is the one four enough in this format so I'm going to assume from the fact that Trebuchet has a really, really bad win rate that the 1-4 is definitely not enough in this format. It is a format that should be kind of nice for 1-4s because uh, blocking ring bearers is pretty good, except that once their ring gets to level 3, blocking their ring bearer with a 1-4 is atrocious. As far as the other question about, like, do you need some number of support and payoff cards... Yes, you definitely do. You need to be pretty good at amassing and uh, maybe also less, most important to just be good at amassing so that you can make the 2-1 uh, flyer. Once you've done that, you could get extra value out of it or your trebuchet is just like a decent damage source at that point. I wouldn't like think about playing trebuchet unless I was very good at amassing. How good is very good? I don't know that. 
I, I just need to know that like when I look at my deck and I imagine the way my games are going to play out, most of the time there's going to be an army in play and it's going to be able to attack. Because like, if you aren't able to attack with the army, the trebuchet is quite bad. So note that blocking ring bearers is only really important if they have the ring maxed. There's some truth to that in terms of like the small ring bearers aren't pressuring you that much if the ring's not doing three extra damage to you. But I think that there are a lot of games where the ring stops it too, and like stopping them from being able to get a free attack that lets them loot is still a big deal. So I, I do think that like thinking about how you're going to stop your opponent's level two ring bearers from attacking is an important consideration in the format. But doing it with, you know, creatures, like doing it with a 1-4 that may or may not be able to stop them from attacking, like you don't care about the damage, right? You care about making it so that they can't attack to get the loot, which the 1-4 might not be good at doing even if it is stopping the damage. So there, I think like the range where it's really providing a lot of utility as a blocker is a little too narrow. What are your thoughts on the red-black-gold cards? Any non-red-black-gold cards that you would work to splash in a red-black shell? I think the red-black-gold cards are both good. I think that the two-mana... Like, they're both good, not great. The two-mana, two-two menace that makes your mass stuff bigger has been really good for me, but its win rate uh, isn't incredible or anything. And then the four-mana, three-three that grows and your stuff dies... A little slower, a little more conditional, a little clunkier, but uh, I have seen it be a significant presence, I guess. I think it's, you know, fine more than amazing. As far as splashing, it's a deck that can splash, but not a deck I'm eager to splash in. I think, like, the green-black uncommons, both of them are reasonable cards to splash in general. I think I like the sorcery more than the creature. I could see splashing Mouth of Sauron, the five mana, three, four, that mills someone and then amasses. For the most part, I don't think I really want to splash because I do think a lot of the strength of Red Black is that it plays out really smoothly and has those good aggressive starts. And so even if your deck doesn't have to be aggressive, I do generally want to build my red-black decks so that, like, they can get those free wins where, like, their opponent stumbles and they come out well. So even though it doesn't, like, even though I think of it as more of a mid-range deck, I want it to be a mid-range deck that can play an aggro game in a way that makes me want to avoid splashing. Is it more likely to get into by getting a red common early or into uh, deep into black pack one? And which has the better pivot? I think both of those are like very, very common and very, very good. Like if a lot of the time you will see a good red uncommon and, you know, take it and then it'll be kind of natural to slide into black because there are so many good black commons and you're, like it's hard not to see them in packs. And other times like you won't see a good uncommon or you'll see a good black uncommon and then you'll just take black cards for a while. And both of those can pivot out pretty easily. I mean, like, you know, if you're just taking black, then you can easily pivot into any secondary color. If you just have a good uncommon, then you can easily switch into a different color that uses that uncommon or just splash that uncommon. Given that the idea here is just draft the good cards, I think that you can execute the draft the good cards strategy in a way that naturally pivots when you see good cards 
and uh given that like this archetype isn't all that like parasitic or linear or whatever i think it's just always going to be pretty easy to pivot because you're just taking independently good cards how do you prioritize which of the red black removal to pick over another one when multiples show up in the same pack i would just default to taking the best one mostly regardless of which you have where like claim the precious is the best followed by a smite the deathless then there's like i guess in general the like sack a thing deal four is better than the than the sorcery speed sack a thing kill a thing when in doubt just go by you know 17 lands win rate for each of them they're all just removal spells the best removal spell is just kind of generally going to be the best removal spell because it doesn't matter as much how the removal spell lines up with the rest of your deck as how it lines up against your opponent's deck unless it's like one of the sack things and you can kind of tell if your deck is like good at having a thing to sacrifice i think i'm going to wrap it up there so thank you everyone for listening Last week, I said that I wasn't sure if I was going to try to do another overview or get into a single archetype. Uh, I decided that I don't know that there was all that much to talk about in an overview, and the sooner I got into archetypes, the sooner I got more archetypes covered. So I uh, figured I would, you know, strike while the iron is hot in terms of, you know, getting out the information about the uh, best archetype as soon as possible in the format. I think I'm going to be able to have a pull up for the next episode that may only be a pull between a few of the archetypes, but I'll certainly be able to give uh, the patrons some choice about what I talk about next. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, exploring the set some more now, and I'll uh, see you again uh, next week. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Prepare for light speed.